everyone, and welcome to another episode of God is Not a Theory with Ken Fish. I'm your host, Grant Pemberton. And on today's episode, we're going to be dialoguing and digging into a new uh, article uh, and in the Post, in the Christian Post, and uh, a new study uh, that was released by Barna with some startling uh, statistics and facts on the state of the uh, American church, American Christian. And, um, you know, we've talked a lot about this, Ken, um, with our with our new Reformation uh, talks that we did uh, in the summer. But I think it's important to continue to talk about it because uh, we, we actually do want the Reformation, not just content on a on a podcast. Right. That's right. Absolutely. So if you if you haven't seen uh, the uh, the statistics, it's pretty startling. I'll just rattle off here what they've found. Um, you know, there's a, they're estimating the total population of America to be around three, 333 and a half uh, million people uh, that could, that could give or take, uh, depending upon how you measure that. Uh, from that, they're saying that 176 million of those people, so nearly half um, or more, identify as Christians. But then when they dig into that, they're finding that only 6% of those uh, 176 million that identify themselves as Christians actually have a biblical Christian world view. And, and so we want to talk about that for, for a little bit. Uh, Ken, you know, you and I were talking before the podcast, what is that just, just, is that surprising to you or does that kind of fall in line uh, with other things that you and I have been talking about? Well, it, it's in line with what we've been talking about, but if I'm honest, it's worse than I expected. Um, when I've been talking about some of the latest poll numbers coming out about where do Christians stand, uh, I have said that um, at Easter of this year, so that's April of 2021, we're recording in early October, so roughly six months ago, Barna came out with a study dealing with churches and where do they stand. We'll come back to that study in a minute. I want to stay for the moment on the matter of individuals. Um, and But what, one of the things that comes out of Barna's study on churches from six months ago is that for the first time in recent history, uh, less than half of Americans identify with the church. Now, we'll come back to that, so I don't want to dwell on it at the moment, but let's just put that in the ground as a stake. Less than half of Americans identify with the church. The actual number that Barna reported was 47%, 47%. So, Grant, you said a moment ago that, uh, you know, when we looked it up, the estimated population of the United States here in 2021, the official number, well, we do a census every 10 years, so 2021 is an off year. So what they're doing is extrapolating based on the known fecundity of the nation, uh, less deaths, uh, plus any immigration, that's kind of how you get to your number. Um, so we had a 2020 census and the estimated population in 2021 is 333.5 million, 333.5 million people in the United States. Um, I think everyone's aware that we have an immigration problem. And so it's likely that 333.5 is somewhat higher. Uh, depends on who you're listening to. It may be as much as 350 million, could be more like 340 million might be 345. The problem with undocumented uh, residents is that we don't 
really know how many of them there are. And so it's difficult to really get your arms around things. The, the one thing that's working in our favor is what statisticians call the law of large numbers. And when you're dealing with several hundred million people, um, you know, the trends don't change quickly because you really need something to, to, to change, to shift it. So let's go with the number that uh, that's the best official estimate and say 333.5 million. And then let's use the number that you just cited, 176 million people identify as Christian. Now, let's be really clear about this. On this podcast, the majority of our listeners would be people who are, I'd say, pretty squared away in their Christianity. They, they kind of get it. They read their Bibles. They have mostly a biblical worldview, maybe essentially a biblical worldview. Um, some of them are you know, quite profoundly in a Christian worldview. There'll be some around the edge that, that may not be there. But, but you know, as we think about this, we're really thinking about the broad spectrum of Christianity. We're talking about people who go to every flavor of church out there. This isn't just people who are, say, involved with Bethel or the Vineyard or Global Awakening or um, you know, solid evangelical churches like maybe the Southern Baptists or the Wesleyan Methodists. This is this is everybody. It's it's what uh, the Bible calls when Moses came out of Egypt the mixed multitude. Right. So if we take 176 million people who identify as Christian, if we were to double that number, now we're not doing it, but I'm just I'm trying to help people think through as I'm talking about it. If we double 176 million. That gives us 352 million, and we just said that our kind of baseline number is 333.5. So this would suggest that um, something in the neighborhood of 20 million people, more than half of the U.S. population, identify as Christians. Right. Now, that, I mean, on the one hand, you might say, well, that's great, but this is really the purpose of this broadcast is to kind of unpack the numbers and think through what are these numbers actually telling us? Yeah. yeah. And so if we're, you know, if we're in fact really, you know, a little bit over half, um, let's not take too much comfort in that because as we go through this, we'll all come to see that actually the numbers are quite a bit more uh, stark and serious than they might appear to be on the surface. Yeah. And I think what, what would be great because I, I really believe that uh, we, we as, as the church in America, we as those that, that are Christians in America, for too long, we've, we've sort of overestimated uh, our, our clout uh, within the country. We, we've overestimated our position. And, uh, and I think what we need to do is kind of a reality check and, and to get us sort of understanding how we're actually supposed to be operating. Um, That's right. You know, I, I, I heard a recent study, I can't cite it, but that essentially 90% of, of all church growth is transferred growth, right. which is what I think we're also getting at here. Uh, we right. we want to be, you know, I, this God is not a theory thing that we call this and your mission can, and it's my mission as a pastor of our church is is not just you know preach the gospel but to make disciples and part of being a disciple is being an effective witness and, and an effective evangelist 
and uh, and so you know a missionary, and and uh, and so to live missional. So I, I hope this is going to help us, right? Get a better view. So let's go back to our numbers. Um, the again, this this report is now talking individuals, not church congregations, and we'll again we'll reference church congregations in a minute just to kind of try to benchmark and see if, if this has this, if it passes the smell test. Right. And, and this is the kind of thing that statisticians do all the time. It's the kind of thing scientists do all the time. It's the kind of things uh, business analysts do all the time. They basically look at the numbers and they say, do these numbers make sense? And if they're right, or at least they're in the right range, um, you know, what, what does this actually communicate to us? That that's where we're trying to go with this podcast. And I know for a lot of people, um, you probably aren't used to thinking about things in quantitative or numerate ways. Uh, just go with this. We'll try to make this uh, easy to understand because it, I think it is important to wrap your head around uh, what, what these numbers are suggesting. Right. And while, uh, while we're talking about that, this is probably a good time to remind everyone uh, that a little bit of a difference between maybe this podcast and others is, is that while we are in the ministry, we're both MBAs and come out of actually a business uh, background and uh, pr particularly in the finance uh, industries. So we may take a crack at some of these things a little bit more in depth. So just let us nerd out on this and you can just zone out and come right back in as we're, as we're nerding out on these numbers here. That's um, right. So let me important. just make this one other comment before we, before we get going with it. Um, so if we've got 176 million people who self-identify as Christians, whatever exactly that means to them, um, these would be people who are, at least on some level, and it may not be entire, just to be clear, but on some level, these would be people who are sympathetic to Christianity. And so if we're, you know, if we're coming off of our, you know, other number of 333.5, just to make the math easy, I'm going to round that up to 336, because then we can easily subtract 176 from 336. And that means that, again, in round numbers, this is not exact. I want to be clear. I want everyone to hear me say that. This is not exact. This is just an approximation. This is how people think quickly about trend lines and so forth. It means that about 160 million people in our country don't identify with Christianity. And they may be anywhere from neutral to hostile. They could be anywhere on that spectrum. But the, the 176 should be mostly directionally favorable. Now, they may have issues with the church. They may not like certain teachings. They may not like experiences they've had. And maybe they had a falling out with a pastor or uh, they got in a fight with one or more people in their congregation. They didn't think the elders treated them well. So they're still thinking of themselves as Christians, but they, they've got a bone to pick with Christianity. So just to be clear, just like I said, of the 160, they may be anywhere from neutral to hostile well, just so of those that we're calling in the Christian camp, they may be anywhere from neutral to all the way in. And so this really defines what a marketer would call our addressable market. And so I don't, I don't like to talk about churches and marketing. It sounds almost carnal, but, but we, we do need to take a few cues from the playbook you know, of the world of marketing and uh, market segmentation and understand that more or less this is where we are. Uh, again, slightly over half, at least are neutral to favorable towards Christianity. 
Well, and I think that, that brings a, a good point. I mean, you know, Jesus makes the, the he, he, he identifies a market and he calls it the harvest. Right. And so, so he does sort of talk about there is a harvest, there is a market. So if we're using those business terms and you're getting triggered by that, you know, forgive us. Um, but I think it's, a, I think as we're sitting here talking about it, and let's say that the 6% of that 176 is about 10 and a half, right? 10 and a half million. So subtract that. So you're looking at around uh, 165.5, right? So 165 and a half million are uh, somewhat favorable to to calling themselves to identifying themselves as Christian. We'll dig into the to the numbers in a little bit, but my question is: Is that going to be actually an easier target or a harder target than? those that are either neutral or hostile. In other words, if you're looking at, you know, even the parable of the prodigal son, you know, which one is, has an easier time coming into the banquet, right. the one that knows he's sick or the elder brother who thinks he he's deserving it. Right. And so I'm not sure, honestly, which one of those is easier. I, I don't know. I have a thought, you know, and again, that kind of changes our approach in our context, uh, into, into missions. You got any, anything to say on that? Any thoughts? Well, yeah, because, um, again, these are, we're talking individuals now, not congregations, but if we take these Barna figures is correct. And, and, you know, they're reporting that about 15% of a biblical worldview and back to your number of that means about 10 and a half million. Six, percent of the 176 hold to a biblical world. Uh, that's right. I'm sorry. I, I misspoke. I, I misspoke. Yeah. So we have, we have about 6% who have a biblical worldview and that falls out to be about 10 and a half million. And again, just to make it easy, let's round off the half a million. I mean, those all, every one of those people matters to the Lord, right. but, but we're talking about the laws of large numbers here. So let's just make it simple for ourselves. If we've got 176 million Christians, which I'm going to round down to 175 again, just to make the math easy. And we take away the 10 million that have a, a biblical worldview as defined. And, and by the way, we will, we, after we talk about this big picture, uh, 50,000 foot view of, of the landscape, we will go into what is a biblical worldview and what does that really mean? Uh, but at the moment, I, we're just talking big aggregate data. So if we take 175 total that are self-reporting, it's really 176, but we're rounding down to make the math easy. And then we back out the 10 million that are, we call them legit, right? They, they got the biblical worldview, they're on board. Okay. That leaves us 165 million of the 176 million uh, or 175 million <laughs> uh, that, that don't have a biblical worldview. They don't, they don't actually think Christianly. And this is a huge part of our malaise. This is a huge part of our problem that we have both within the church and in wider society. In the church, it's a problem because it means that we've only got 6% of Christians that are actually thinking according to the way the Bible would have them to think. The others could be anywhere from misinformed. Maybe they've not really read the Bible very much. They may come out of a faith tradition where the you know, Bible reading isn't emphasized. The Bible isn't particularly preached in churches. There's a lot of, particularly in liturgical churches, a lot of times they'll just have kind of set readings and then the pastor will give a, sometimes a sermon as short as five or 10 minutes. There's not much you can say in that amount of time to form people's worldview. 
And, and let's just think about that statement for just a moment. There are 168 hours in a week. And, you know, it depends how much people sleep during those, uh, during the, the days. It's, nowadays, I don't know if most people sleep eight hours, but let's say they sleep six hours a day. I know some sleep more, some sleep less, but let's use that as a kind of a, you know, reference line. Well, we got seven days a week, six hours a night. That's 42 hours from the 168. So that leaves about 126 hours a week when we're awake and we are absorbing input from wherever we're getting it. Could be the internet, could be we turn on Good Morning America while we're getting dressed and brushing our teeth and having breakfast. Uh, we might be listening to podcasts of various sorts. Uh, we could be listening to the latest shock jock in the car on the road on the way to work. And there's all kinds of ways we get input. But if, if a sermon in church is only in the range of you know five to 10 minutes or maybe 20 minutes, uh, we have a, a, a disproportionate minority of mind share among the people who are professing to be Christians. And so it's no wonder that many of them don't really think like Christians, because essentially the Christian content that you would expect them to adhere to, the, the beliefs, the worldview, the way of thinking is actually being subsumed and overwhelmed by all of the other content that's coming to them. All right, so now that we've got that laid out and we've said 6% of, uh, of, you know, of the population of Christians, those who self-identify as Christians have a biblical worldview, now let's scale it back up to our 333.5 million that we said is the sort of you know, semi-official U.S. population. And again, it's only semi-official because the last official census was in 2020. Um, if we scale that up, what that means is that something around uh, 3% of the U.S. population actually, no, the total population, not just Christians, 3% right, right. of the total population has a biblical worldview, 3%. That's one in about 30 or 33. Um, so, you know, we're, we're a minority of people who think according to the word of God if we hold those biblical precepts and concepts. Absolutely. Um, it, it, it makes you change. You know, we, we say that America is a Christian nation, right? Um, but it does sort of make you rethink wh what, first of all, what do we mean by that? Uh, and second of all, are we? And then third, what do we do with this now? Um, right. You know, maybe there's maybe there's a little bit more uh, emphasis, you know, to that we can put on the importance of our faith if we actually begin to uh, to not take it for granted. That you know, even here, I'm in Nashville. I know you're in California. I know that landscape looks different, right? But just sort of overlaying that here. I mean, most people think if I run into someone, you know, at at Ted's Outfitter store. Uh, that that someone is that they're they're going to be Christian. Well, even if they say they are, then we'll have to back that off. Of maybe they don't understand what that means. Maybe they're nominal. Maybe they're uh, they're born into it, and so they just assume or whatever. It really does change the landscape. Of wow, you know the harvest really is plentiful. That's right. You know it really really is. Even here in so-called Christian America. Right. 
And the, the other thing that we need to remember is that when we look at the rest of the world, it depends, you know, obviously nation by nation, but much of the rest of the world, um, as you know, as we think about it, including what was once known as Christendom, in many of those lands, they don't even have as many Christians as we have as a percentage of their population. If you look at most of the major Western European nations, Britain is the most Christian of the lot, and about 2% of their people self-identify as Christian. Uh, many of them have been baptized you know, as, as babies because they were born in Anglican or Catholic families, but that doesn't mean they think as Christians. It doesn't even mean they live as Christians. It just means that if they are asked what religion are you, they're like, yeah, I'm a Christian. If you look at countries like Portugal, Spain, France, which you know historically was called the mother of the church, referring specifically to the Catholic church. If you look at Italy, Germany, Greece, in most of those nations, less than 1% of the population is Christian. So while we're better off in terms of the numbers of Christians in America, I would not say we are substantially better off. I mean, by I'd rather have, you know, kind of 3% than 1%. So that sounds three times better, but it shows you why so much of the thinking that's going on in many nations is actually, even if you think of them as somehow Christian or like us or the West, maybe is sometimes the way people say it, it's, it shows you why many of those nations are where they are in their politics, their economics, um, their morality. And we could just go down the list because, in fact, there's little to no influence of Christian thinking there in the lands that were once identified as Christian. Well, and just to put a little bit of more context around this, a little bit of finer point, uh, I've been doing some Googling. And so these are, these are pretty interesting uh, statistics. So if you think about the 3% of the total population adhering to a biblical worldview. In the U.S. In the U.S. Yeah. In India, you have 2.3%, which, which identifies Christian. Uh, in Iraq, you have 3%. Uh, in Israel, you have three and a half. Um, in North Korea, you have 1.7%. So kind of gives you a little bit more context. And then, you know, obviously, let's say that we do that 50% uh, on that, which I'm not sure uh, you would actually have to do because there's not a lot of legacy Christian influence. Um, so I'm not sure that you would actually have that same problem. But even if you did, it's still eerily similar to what this new what yeah. this new study shows, and these are oppressive. Uh, some of them, um, you know, hostile, literally hostile right. nations to to Christianity. So um, it doesn't bode well uh, for us, uh, or maybe it does. You know, I think the fastest growing church in the world right now is. It's either Iran or Iraq. Um, those two are, are, are sort of neck and neck with that. Right. So. So when we talk about all of this, um, so that's that's by headcount. All right. We've kind of right. broken it down um, again from the top. U.S. population uh, more or less officially right now is about three thirty three point five million. 
uh, counting undocumented residents, we might be in the 340 to 350 range. Um, of all of that, whichever one you're going to use, uh, about 176 million are self-identifying in the U.S. as believers, but of that, only 6% have a biblical worldview, which falls out to be about 10.5 million people out of the total pool of, again, 333.5 up to 350. So we're in a minority. Now, I just want to say something here. Um, many Christians really got up in arms when Barack Obama made the comment during his presidency that America is no longer a Christian nation. I mean, whether you like Obama or dislike Obama, I think it's really these kinds of statistics that he was thinking about when he made the comment. And with that in mind, I think we can have, shall we say, a more objective and dispassionate uh, response to a comment like that. And whatever Obama's personal inclinations are towards Christianity or Islam or whatever it may be, um, he's, he's thinking about it at this level as a man who at that time had the job of governing the whole of the nation. And he's thinking about people who may not actually share the sentiments that we share. <clears throat> so please don't send us hate mail because you think I'm being too kind on Barack Obama. I'm, I'm just trying to be dispassionate and to look at the numbers as they are. Yeah. Now let's compare these numbers to the churches. And we've gone through these church numbers uh, in a previous podcast, but I know for a lot of folks, this, this wouldn't be in their mind right now. So I want to benchmark by headcount against congregations. And so now we're switching from bodies to buildings. Yeah. And when we think about churches, um, again, according to Barna, so same, uh, same researcher, same statistician. Who, who is uh, a reputable Let's just, we'll just say that very rapidly. Extremely, extremely yeah. reputable. Um, probably the most respected statistician of particularly religious matters in America. Right. And there's really nobody who disputes his numbers, not, not conservative Christians, not liberal Christians, not atheists. They all pretty much take his research as, you know, solid and done according to the right academic standards. And so they, you know, it is what it is. He's the gold standard. Yeah. So Barna did this study, uh, again, six months ago. So these, these figures are coming out in the same year. They're, they're not quite coterminous, but they're pretty close. Um, and early this year, he came out with statistics that said this. In the United States, there are 380 million, uh, excuse me, 380,000 houses of worship, 380,000 houses of worship. Now, in his analysis, I heard him do a broadcast with Jim Garlow who had been uh, at one time the pastor of Skyline Wesleyan Church in San Diego. Uh, Garlow's now gone on to do some work in the political arena, but, uh, but he was interviewed, but Barna and Garlow were on a broadcast. And I think if people go look for it, they could find it pretty readily. Um, Barna said, again, because there he's really talking to a Christian audience. He said, for our purposes, meaning when I'm speaking to Jim Garlow, 20,000 of the 380,000 don't count. And the reason they don't count is not because they're insignificant or we're trying to throw them under the bus, but when we're thinking about this from a Christian perspective, 20,000 of the 380,000 houses of worship are associated with other religions. They might be uh, mosques, they could be Hindu temples, they might be uh, meditation centers run by Buddhists, they could be any number of things. Uh, it could be an atheist center, could be Church of Scientology. 
I mean, there's a number of things this could be, but the point is they're not explicitly Christian. And so the 380, for our purposes, shrinks to 360,000, 360,000. That's a pretty easy number to remember because there's 365 days in a year. Um, again, not exact. I'm, I'm more interested that people get the big picture concepts and hold on to those. And I'm trying to walk people through this so that hopefully that it sinks in and they can grab a hold of it. So we've got for our purposes, 360,000 houses of worship that matter because they identify in some way or another as Christian, however they do that. Now, when we say that they're Christian, even that number needs to be uh, looked at because of the 360,000, some of them might be, say, Christian science reading rooms. It has the word Christian in it, so it's probably getting counted. Uh, we might think about churches that are historically of what we would call a liberal persuasion. And with that would come a host of theological beliefs that may not really be recognizable as consistent with the historic creeds of Christianity or things that we read in the Bible. Now, I'm not looking to call anyone out here. And so I'm not particularly naming denominations as I think about this. But, but many of you would know what I'm talking about. Many of these would be mainline denominations, uh, church, churches and church denominations that historically might have been associated with the acronym WASP, White Anglo-Saxon Protestant. Um, they might also be um, some churches within the, within the Catholic or the Orthodox uh, tradition. But, but anyway, of that 360,000, when Barna did his assessment, he said, actually, we probably need to take half of them, 180,000 out, because what they believe, whether or not their creeds, whether or not their prayer books say something different, the kinds of things that they are articulating, the things that they are preaching, um, the things that are you know, going on in their uh, you know, church gatherings, in the social hall, whatever, many of these are really not consistent with the historic Christian faith. Um, again, they might call it Christian, but it's not really Christian in the sense that, it's, that it comports or aligns with what we might historically think of as Christianity. Now, I want to make a pause here, and I want to make a comment. Methodologically, scholars of religion would have uh, some issue with what I just said. And the reason they would take issue with it is, uh, by its very nature, it's somewhat exclusionary, and they would say, look, if somebody wants to self-identify with a Christian as a Christian, then they're a Christian. But in fact, the Bible itself suggests that, you know, we need to contend earnestly for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So to the extent people are not holding fast to that faith, that they're articulating things that are inconsistent with it, uh, well, then at some point we have to say, if it no longer walks like a duck, to use a famous way of saying it, if it no longer quacks like a duck, if it no longer floats like a duck, at some point, we probably aren't going to call it a duck. We might call it a coot or a gallinule or a, or a goose or some other water bird, but, but it's actually not a duck. And scholars of religion would take some exception to this. It's kind of like saying, well, you know, there's, there's Theravada uh, Buddhism and there's Hinayana Buddhism and there's Mahayana Buddhism and there's Zen Buddhism. And if someone says, well, Zen's not really Buddhism. Um, you know, some scholars of religion would say, no, 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 it, it's Buddhism. It's coming out of the Buddhist tradition. But for our purposes, what, what Barna is trying to do is he's trying to winnow here to, to say, 
you know, at, at some point you actually do need to believe what's in the core or the center line, uh, you know, the target area of Christianity in order to be truly and authentically Christian and using that as a gauge, then the 380 dropped to 360 and the 360 is cut in half to get us to 180,000, which we're going to reduce further in a moment. But I'll pause here, Grant, so you can ask a question or two to make sure our listeners are following along. Well, I mean, just to go back to the idea of saying, you know, we're going to have to winnow this down. I mean, I really think even going back to our 176 number, 176 million versus the 10 and a half million, uh, you know, identifying as Christian, holding a biblical worldview, <clears throat> it's one of the scariest scriptures in, in the New Testament is that Jesus says many will say, Lord, Lord, I, I know you. And he says, no, you don't know me. Now, he doesn't give a whole lot of context around you know, the, the, that, what, what he's saying there, but it does kind of help us see that apparently biblically, according to Jesus, you can think you're in the faith and, and actually not be in the faith. Right. Which I think gives us some, you know, some precedent here and some permission to continue to whittle down. Uh, neither of us like to be heresy hunters. We, we don't like to be um, you know, the people that, that are trying to say you're in, you're out. But in this context, I think it's fair that we, we can continue to, to try and say, okay, what does an Orthodox, uh, you know, church look like when that adheres to, to that? So that, that was just what I wanted to add. Yep. Okay. And, and that's good. So we've, we've widowed down now. And so again, we've moved off of people to our, our bodies to buildings, right? So we've gone from individuals to congregations, but we're just trying to say, does, does what we just said at the front end of this podcast, in terms of the percentages of people who are you know, true believers, can we benchmark that? Can we gauge it to see if it seems to be about right? Or are we being too, uh, too sour and too dour in our assessment of the world? So we're now talking about congregations 380, we took away 20 because they don't make any claim of being Christian. They're just houses of worship. And then we took that led, led us to 360. And then we said, based on what they're articulating, um, we have to remove about half of the remainder, which drops us from 360 to 180 by removing 180. And so now we're at 180,000, but we're now going to reduce the 180,000 congregations by another 150,000 congregations. Which will, remain, which will leave us with a remainder of 30,000 congregations. Now, let's walk through the logic of that, because 150,000 out of 180,000 is five-sixths of, the, of you know, where we had reduced to. So we're saying five out of six churches need to be removed from the mix. And here's why. <clears throat> in his study that he released in April, Barna again polled these people and what he found out was that many of those churches have pastors and leaders that probably do hold to uh, the basic tenets of the Christian faith. And note when I say that, we're already pointing back yet again to, okay, how do we define a Christian worldview? Um, which we haven't answered yet. We're going to do that in, a, in the next podcast behind this one. But, but we're just setting up the big picture right now. But, but let's just say for a moment that there are certain things that one would uh, generally need to believe and adhere to in order to have a Christian worldview 
as defined, and Barna actually had 12 things that he was looking at. Five out of six of the 180,000 churches that are in our remaining pot here, five out of six or 150,000 of them, what their pastors or leaders would say is some form of this. Even if I believe all of that, I would never preach it. Even if it's in the Bible, I wouldn't bring it up. When I get up in the pulpit on Sunday morning, I want to preach stuff that's going to uh, lift people up or is going to uh, move people out of the realm of being uh, you know, depressed and discouraged. But, but I'm not going to teach on these basic tenets of the faith. And here's why. We live in a highly divided society. Uh, many people have their own opinions about things. And on that point right there, you know, Barnett even noted in this most recent survey, the one that we're commenting on today, uh, that many people say they're getting their source of truth from their family members or what feels right to them, but they don't actually have anything they point to. They're, they're not necessarily drawing from the Bible or church creeds or something they find in the prayer book or anything like that. It's just kind of whatever seems right to me, uh, whatever I, you know, last heard on the Oprah Winfrey show or you know, some other source of information, that's really what they're drawing from. And so there's a lot of people in these 180,000 churches that in some way or another, they would be resistant if their pastor or elders were to get up and say, no, no, this is truth. This is what we believe. And they might actually leave. And it's for that reason that the leaders of these 150,000 of 180,000 churches would say, I don't want to teach on that. I don't want to preach on that. Um, people might leave the church. The giving could go down. We might lose our building. We might be forced to lay some staff off. That would be a bad outcome. We don't want that outcome. And so with that in mind, we refuse to teach on those kinds of subjects. Now, again, in, a, in the next podcast, we'll talk about what those subjects are. But, but those things collectively are some of the key issues that define a Christian worldview. And so what's happening is of 180,000 churches that aren't overtly teaching error or what once was called heresy, um, five-sixths of the, of the half that remain are actually silent. They, they won't actually speak up about anything of substance lest they offend, lest they trigger people, uh, language like this. And most, most people that listen to our podcast would be familiar with this kind of talk. They might have run into it in academia. They might be dealing with it in the workplace. Uh, if they work in government, it may be you know, part of whatever part of the government they're, they're dealing with. And so when we take 180 and we subtract 150,000 churches because they're effectively enervated, they're, they're, they've been gutted, they've been rendered neutered, and they're unable to articulate truth, even if they believe in it, or they're unwilling to articulate truth, even if they believe it, that leaves only 30,000 congregations out of 380,000 houses of worship, of which 20,000 don't identify as Christians, so 360,000 self-identified Christian houses of worship. That leaves only 30 out of those total 380,000 or in the reduced set, 360,000 so-called Christian churches that actually hold to and articulate a Christian worldview. They both hold to it and they are willing to speak up about it. Uh, they may not do it all the time. They may have other things they want to address, but 
from time to time, and certainly without any reservation or hesitation, they would address these matters that collectively help people come to a Christian worldview. And if you do that math, then 30,000 uh, churches out of 380,000 houses of worship, and the analogy here is the 380,000 houses of worship all up, that would, that would be the analogy to the 333 0.5 million people uh, in the United States, or maybe as many as 350 million. Right. So um, another way of saying that is there's, this is not exact, but again, I'm just trying to get people to think about it in terms of order of magnitude. It means there's roughly one house of worship for every thousand people in the United States. But of the Christian side, it means that there's, uh, you know, one church that somewhere might properly be called a church for roughly every thousand uh, believers in the United States, or at least those who self-identify as believers. So you can actually see there's a fair degree of consistency here as we move through the funnel. And when we get to 30,000, what I don't know, some will object to this term, but, but we use it a lot, 30,000 legit churches in our time, uh, that's really only 7.9% of the houses of worship in the United States. And when you think about what we said, that that's 7.9% of the, of the houses of worship in the total of the United States, when we do that math, that, that's actually not very far off of the 6% that we originally started with when we were counting noses as opposed to buildings. Does that make sense? That make, it makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I was just doing some, <clears throat> some math here. And the other scary uh, statistic to throw on top of this, you're saying there's 30,000 churches uh, for every, what did you say, 1,000? It's about one church for every thousand believers or not. Well, let's not call them believers, self-identified Christians. Okay. But when you narrow the funnel down and you start talking about you know, churches that are actually preaching a, a firm gospel that's consistent with the historic creeds and all that. What it really means is that we have 30,000 churches in a population of 333.5 million people or more. That actually means that the, the number, uh, the, the ratio of, again, I'm going to use the word legit. Some will object to it. Please just be kind to me and know I'm just using shorthand when I say it. But that, that actually means that the actual ratio of uh, people to legit churches is something in the order of one in 10,000. Well, and then the, the scary part about that is they say, now this is, I think this will be a generous, because I think it's actually higher, but 90% of all churches are under 100. Correct. And which means they really can only handle no more than 100. Correct. So, so that 27,000 of those churches that are available can only take 100. That's right. <laughs> Maximum, which, so, which I, I think is the, this is Jesus's statement. It, the harvest is plentiful. The workers, they're few. Correct. Pray for more workers. And so now let's, let's draw to the finest point we can here. Again, we're still talking churches and buildings. But if we take the 30,000 and we say 27,000 of those are going to be 100 or less, that means there's only about 3,000 churches 
that remained that would be bigger churches that you know might have enough just scale. over 100 just over 100 no 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 because if we have 90 percent or that less take away from 30,000 that, that we're taking away 27,000 and leaving. Uh, I know, but that's only 3000 churches that are able to handle 101. That's right. Maybe 10 or 20,000. That's right. exactly right. That's exactly right. We're saying the same thing different ways. That's right. right. So that leaves 3000 churches that could, you know, be scale churches, I guess we might call them to service 333 million people, which means now the ratio of churches like that to the U.S. population is one in a million. Again, this is order of magnitude calculation. It's actually not even that good, but it's, but it's in that range. And so you can see the incredible need in our time, not just for evangelism, but for church planting, mm. the birthing of new movements to address our society and the things that are on its mind from a biblical worldview standpoint, not just like, like, let's just go start up a religiously themed business and call it a church, but where we're actually trying to articulate biblical truth and wisdom to the modern age in a way that is compelling, winsome, uh, you know, helps people say yes, and brings them to a true and living faith. Yeah. So it's, it's, um, it's a harsh reality yes. out there. And, and, you know, if you, if you, if you back that thought process into everything else, the church is up in arms about, it just makes sense. Like it makes sense. If, if you're sitting there wringing your hands uh, that this country is going to hell in a handbasket. Well, I think we've, we've done a, a pretty decent job of explaining the numbers as to why you would think that's true. And and maybe instead of focusing on, uh, you know, these aspects that are there that you wish were there and why can't we get back to here and all of that sort of stuff, that energy from, uh, from people could be focused into church planning, discipleship, evangelism. Uh, it would probably be a much more productive use of time, mental thought, uh, energy, and all of that sort of thing. Instead of, hoping that Donald Trump gets back in the office and America will be saved. I think it's a more, much more complex issue uh, than, than what, uh, what many, 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 many people I hear are talking about. Exactly. And Jesus said um, that the kingdom comes like leaven through a lump of dough. Well, what is leaven? It's yeast. And anybody who's familiar with bread making, and I don't mean on a commercial scale, just home bread making. Some people like to do that. You know, you have to kind of work the lump of dough over and over to kind of get the yeast through it. And once you've kind of done enough kneading is the term for it, K-N-E-A-D, knead, not kneel or knee, uh, the, like a body part. Right. Um, once you've done enough kneading, you generally set the, the dough aside. You know, you might put a, a towel or a cloth over it in the bowl, and now it begins to rise because of the yeast that's in it. And so that's, that's really the analogy Jesus used. He said that the kingdom comes that way. And so what we're really talking about is a process of diffusion, Christian diffusion of thoughts, attitudes, lifestyle, and character. Um, I, I think, I dare say this, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not proud to say it, I'm not happy to say it, but I think there are times when in our passion, 
um, our passion gets away from us and we don't always act very Christianly. Even, even if we're among those, you know, maybe 10 and a half million believers who are, you know, so-called true believers, um, our tone gets harsh, our words become strident. Um, we behave in ways because we're so committed to the truth and these unbelievers are taking things away and they're leading us down the you know wrong path. I mean, we get that sort of, you know, tone and demeanor to us. And you know what happens is people just shut off. They're like, yeah, yeah, I don't want to hear any more of that. And so, you know, there's, there, I think there's a caution in this for all of us that we really want to let our, Paul says, let your conversation always, as it were, be seasoned with salt. And so we want our conversation to be peaceable, even when we disagree vehemently with what, you know, the people we're interacting with, what they may be saying and articulating. Some will say, well, I can't help it. Well, somehow you got to get control of that. There is this fruit of the spirit called self-control. And, you know, it might be time for a thoroughgoing repentance on that point, because we have a, we have a wider strategic objective. We're not just looking to win arguments. We're looking to convert a civilization. And with that, we have to become the bearers of the gospel. And, you know, let's go back to our numbers. If, if we think about congregations and we think about our roughly 10 and a half million true believers in the United States of America, and if we think a congregation on average might have about 100 people in it, well, if you downsize 10 and a half million by two orders of magnitude, 10 and a half million down one order of magnitude is 100,000 roughly. And down one more is 10,000. That means that there's probably only like one preacher in 10,000. We can't rely on 10,000 preachers to convert this country from their pulpits. We actually need the body of Christ engaged. We need them to become, as Paul said to Timothy, always ready to give an answer for the faith that lies within them. And that's more than just, you know, I got blessed at Bible study. I mean, that's a personal testimony and it has power. But there's both the subjective personal testimony and then the objective truth that we that we um, seek to articulate, uh, to propagate, to defend. Uh, it's the kind of thing that was once, believe it or not, in our textbooks. It was the kind of thing that in a more subtle way was on the airwaves, perhaps through certain kinds of TV shows. Roy Rogers would have been one of those. I mean, he's a little bit dated, but but he, when I was a kid, he was on the air. Little House on the Prairie. Um, you know, even Gilligan's Island, as funny of, of a show as that was, uh, you know, it's funny that these seven people were stranded on a desert island and nowhere in the show was it suggested that there was any hanky pankying going on in today's world. I mean, everybody would be hooking up with everybody and we'd have a seven way sex scene. So, I mean, e even in those kinds of ways, truth was being articulated. The culture was being molded and shaped and we moved away from that. And so purely by looking at these numbers, we can see how serious the situation is. And I, and I might just add here, um, many of our listeners know that I've done a lot of work in Australia, and we do have quite a few listeners to this podcast in Australia. Hi, all of you out there. Um, you write to me from time to time and you know, tell me about this or that podcast you enjoyed. Good day. I think it's good day. Yeah, it is. It's good day. Good day. Good day, Mike. Um, so... There's about 25 million people in Australia. It's not a particularly populous nation, even though it's large geographically. Um, so there are about two and a half million people in Australia. And we actually had a conference we used to do out there. And of course, I haven't been in the country in two years with COVID. 
Um, and they're not going to reopen the borders until at least mid next year. So it'll, it'll be three uh, if I go back then. Um, but out of 25 million uh, human beings, so that would equate that our analog would be that 33.5, 333.5 million number. That number for them is 25 million. Um, they have 9% who self-identify as Christians of some kind, 9%. And if you do the math on that, that works out to about two and a quarter million people total. And as it works out in Australia, it divides almost evenly between Catholic and Protestant. So it works out to be about 1.1 million Protestants and about 1.1 million Catholics. The rest of them either have no religion or they've walked away from the Christian faith and they consider themselves nuns. Uh, N-O-N-E-S, or Duns, D-O-N-E-S. I'm done with religion, or I just have no religion. Um, they might be immigrants, or they might have been raised in a family where some other religion is being practiced. And, you know, they're, they're obviously Australia is very close to Southeast Asia, so many of them might be Buddhist or perhaps uh, Muslim or Hindu. But anyway, so we, we do have some that are identifying with other religious faiths, but in Australia, you got about 1.1 million Protestant Christians, 1.1 million roughly Catholic Christians. But even among them, um, the greatest share of them only go to church perhaps one time a month, one time in four. And so again, when we think about is their worldview being shaped by the teachings of the church? Right. Not really. Not no, not really. And this, too, is part of why when we think of Australia today, some people would place it in that category of the Christian West. But to a great, very great extent, uh, much of Australian thought is highly secularized. It's very consistent with secular humanism. Uh, many of the kinds of uh, political things that we see going on, whether here or in Europe, that might be associated with what we commonly call the left uh, this is the sort of ascendant point of view in much of Australian discourse. And all you need to do is uh, go to, you know, an Australian TV station or their or their Internet site, if you don't live in Australia, and listen to the commentary that comes out of the television or out of your uh, web browser. And, and you would see that um, it's no surprise that Australia is where it is from a Christian standpoint. So let's bring all this back, and, and, and what, we, what we then see is that the numbers in Australia are much more consistent with Europe than with the U.S. compared with nations like this, and, and by the way, New Zealand is pretty much right in line with Australia. Um, compared with these kinds of nations, Australia looks towards Europe for much of what it does. We're friendly with them, but a lot of their thinking and culture and so forth is particularly so, it's shaped by Britain. Uh, they are part of the British Commonwealth, uh, but, but they have great affinities to many of the other nations of Europe also. You're going to find that in many ways they look more like Europe than they do the U.S. So the U.S. is still more Christian than many of these other nations, but um, that's a decreasing percentage. And I would say the incidence of Christian thinking and living is also decreasing. And so when we talk about the great revival that's coming, I'm all for the great revival, but I think it's, you know, I said when we were doing the seven principles of the Reformation, I said the first one is the Sardis principle, begin by knowing where you are. I think it's critical that we recognize that by and large, 
most of the people that are in church with us on Sunday, maybe even including ourselves at times, we don't really have a Christian worldview. We don't think Christianly, therefore we don't particularly act Christianly, at least not all the time, especially not when it's inconvenient or it's going to be costly uh, or it might feel better to, you know, to be behaving in a non-Christian way. And then we kind of paper it over with some sort of, you know, glib saying like, well, Jesus loves me anyway, or it was all done at the cross or whatever. All of these are themselves really the indicators of the fact that uh, worldly thinking, uh, secular thinking, fallen thinking has come in and uh, taken the forefront within our modern churches in all of these lands. Yeah, and I think the other thing it brings to mind for me is <clears throat> we we don't we don't need to write off our friends so easily. So there's always so many different fractions and, and factions within church denomination, and uh, there's not enough room for for Baptists and Pentecostals to not get along right now. We we got to circle the wagon right. and and really really hold tight to our commonalities. And so there certainly isn't a space for this elitism that you see on both sides of, of the scale of those that are, you know, ultra charismatic or typically suffer from this elitism that where they look down their nose because, you know, somebody doesn't speak in tongues or whatever. And then vice versa on the, on the other scale um, where they'll look down their nose. We just can't afford that right now. Like we, there's not enough of us to go around. We, we actually have to have a greater importance and a greater um, need for unity amongst the church, amongst the believers than I would say ever before, um, at, at least since the beginning. Uh, and so, you know, we, we, we really got to make sure too in your heart as believers that you, you just sort of weed out that elitism uh, that we all have. We will all, everyone thinks that their particular way is the right way. And there's just not that much pie to slice right now. And so we've got to, we've got to kind of come together. Exactly. Um, and that, that's, that's the big thing that's sort of resonating in my, in my mind as well. Well, I, I think, Ken, I, I think we've sort of sussed this out um, yep. to a point where I think we can stop this one. We're going to come back uh, and in the next episode and really, really dial in a little bit further what it means now to have a worldview and what that means um, on what, you know, what it doesn't mean. And then, and then, what do we do with this information? Are we saying that 176 million people aren't Christian, aren't going to heaven? We'll, we'll talk a little bit more into those sort of things um, that hopefully we're drawing out. But really, what we want to leave everyone with right now is that, you, you know, if, you, if you've got one hour to spend with the Lord, which would be awesome, you should do that. Uh, a, a pretty big portion of that, it would be great if you could pray for more workers. Uh, it would be great if you could say, if you could begin to, to say, Lord, send me here. I am. Send me out That's there. Right. Um, don't just ask for more, ask, ask for you too. Um, and so we're on a mission and, and um, you know, we're on a mission from God. And, <laughs> uh, and so we've got our, we've got our sunglasses on and we're ready to go, but, but we've, we've got to start thinking missionally as a church. That's right. We, we have to start thinking proactively. We have to have the same. Remember, 2.7% of India identifies as Christian. Uh, and that costs them something. So I would, I would trust that number 
And so if you take that number, then, then, then 3%, we, what would you do in India? How would you live if you were in India? You would live on mission. You would live with a greater recognition of, of where you are. And, and, and like you said, Ken, the, the first principle of the Reformation is understanding where we're at today in the times. And I, I think this is so crucial. So thanks so much for helping us dissect this and, and make some sense uh, into this. Any, anything else you want to say before we close this out? Well, I'll just, I'll make this one closing comment. Now the, the numbers are shifting, but um, historically the, uh, the data that was out there on, uh, let's just take something that's a, you know, current hot issue in society, the question of sexuality uh, and specifically, you know, how many people may be, uh, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgendered, uh, queer, or other. Um, when we when we think about that historically, all up, and it's been fairly consistent for a long time. Two point seven percent of the population has identified as that. Um, now it's still pretty close to that. It's risen a bit, uh, and it's it's nearing three percent. But that's because in the under twenty year old category, the population group is is moving that way because it's being taught in the schools and it's becoming more acceptable, um, you know, socially to to identify that way. But let's say we're still below 3%. So again, on our 333.5 million people, 3% of that would be in the neighborhood of about nine, maybe 10 million people. Well, that's a number that's essentially the same as the number of true believer Christians. And so when you look at societal trends and you wonder why is society moving increasingly in that direction, it's because they're on a mission too, and they're, they're more articulate maybe in what they're doing. Uh, but however that's happening, you, we're at a balance point here. And so the idea of you know, the Christian majority, as we already said, about half of the Christian churches are out of the fight to begin with. And then of the remaining half, five-sixths of them, they're not willing to speak up about these matters. And so for the most part, the so-called Christian voice is silent in society. And that goes way beyond sexuality. That's true in so many areas, how we live our lives economically, uh, what the heterosexual community do, community is doing with its sexuality, um, some of the matters that are before us in terms of uh, race and you know what does it mean to be fair and equitable. We could just go on and on and on. There is so much work for us to be doing as the church in these times. And Grant, before we started broadcasting, you know, you'd, you'd made the comment that is the seven mountain strategy really working if this is what the numbers are telling us? And I said, well, maybe it works or maybe it just isn't being implemented very well. But it really does mean that for, I mean, literally every person, they used to have a saying in the Middle Ages when a, when a siege was laid to a city, we need everybody on the wall. We need everybody on the wall. You know, we, we have been sent by Jesus into the world. He did say, go make disciples of all the nations. Well, John Wimber used to say there's nothing magical about a plane ride. So you may be incredibly burdened for what's going on in the Democratic Republic of the Congo or in Niger or Chad or Morocco. I mean, that might be your burden, but think globally and act locally. Get busy wherever you are, whether it's in Nashville or New York, uh, whether it's in Los Angeles or what's another city with an L that's uh, <laughs> that's ready to hand. I don't know. 
I don't know either, but I'll just say Miami. It's close to L. Uh, no matter where you may be, uh, you know, Boston or Seattle, Honolulu or, you know, something else, uh, you got to get busy and you've got to get discipled and you've got to take this to hand yourself. You know, Paul said to Timothy, study to show yourself approved a workman who does not need to be ashamed. A lot of times people think, well, I'm going to go to church and my head will be like the big, you know, I'll open the lid and the pastor will pour everything in it. There's a place for that. There is a role for the teaching office of the church, but we also need to own our faith and we need to get to where we are ready to uh, well contend earnestly for it, but lovingly and gently uh, where we will contend for our faith in the face of the growing unbelief of our culture. Yeah, I think the other thing that, that we can pull out of this, and that's so good, can and along those lines is, um, I, again, I can't remember it, but it's something like one preacher for every 10,000 or something like that is what you said. Right. Um, so just on that scale alone, you, you, you have to do self-study. You, you have to put in the homework. Uh, you have to do that yourself. And there's a good chance uh, that, that you're the preacher that's missing. Uh, there's a good chance that you're going to be the ones that make up that, that shortfall, but it's only going to happen if you put in the work and it's only going to happen if you, if you take this, take this seriously. So we're pleading with you, take this seriously. That's uh, right. We need all the help we can get. Christianity is a discipleship walk. Christianity is a lifestyle. It's not just Christian entertainment. Yeah. And uh, in times like this, we really need to be sober minded about the times in which we live. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's pray real quickly, Grant, before we yeah, go. It'd be great. Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name. He commanded his own disciples to pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest field. And then only a couple verses later, the very people who prayed that way were sent out into the harvest field. Yeah. So, Father, we know that it's your desire still to this day that there be laborers in the harvest field. And we pray, we, we pray earnestly and, and with great intentionality. Lord, would you send laborers into the harvest field in our time? Some of them will be older. Some of them will be younger. Some will have their uh, careers interrupted because you'll summon them out of the workplace. Others of them will be sent as like missional. Well, they used to call them missional priests but there'll be missional preachers in the workplace. Uh, but Lord, would you raise those people up and would you put your words in our mouth? Would you put your power in our hands? Would you put your revelation in our minds that we can preach the gospel as the disciples of old did, both during the days of Jesus and after the days of his ascension? We want to be people who are found worthy, that we have represented you well, that we've represented Jesus well, and Lord, may it be that as we do these things, that the spirit of God will work alongside of us in such a way that many, many will be brought into the kingdom of heaven, that they will come to faith and they will leave aside their old ways, their fallen ways, thinking that doesn't even comport with the kingdom of heaven in order that the fullness of the Gentiles would be gathered in. Your word says that there is a fullness that has to be gathered yet. And we pray, Father, gather them in and let many of those who are listening to this podcast today be among those who are the gatherers and the sent in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Ken, thanks so much. And uh, we'll be back with the next episode where we take a, a further deep dive into what it means uh, to have a biblical worldview. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to seeing you uh, right back here uh, next week. <laughs>
God is Not a Theory is a podcast of Orbis Ministries. For more information about Orbis Ministries, go to orbisministries.org. If you have questions you'd like to have Ken answer on the podcast, please send us an email to podcast at orbisministries.org. Thanks for listening. Hi, everyone. It's Julia with Orbis Ministries. I just wanted to let you know that if you'd like to learn more from Ken and connect with others in the Orbis community, you can download the Orbis Ministries app on your Apple or Android phone. On the app, you'll find a free teaching archive, a conference schedule, and an internal messaging community. A link to download the app can be found in your description. Thanks so much. God bless.